Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast, where we share the real stories of workplace transformation. And now, here are your hosts, Will Stewart and Chris Patton. Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast. So glad to have each and every one of you watching on Facebook and listening on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Will Stewart, joined as always by the CEO of His Way at Work, Chris Patton. Hey, Chris. Will, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Man, I'm excited about today's guest. Yeah, me too. You want to introduce her to us? Yeah, so we've had a lot of people. We've had CEOs that have come in. We've had uh, people who are have led uh, leadership teams inside of a business, but mm-hmm. we really haven't looked at it from an academic standpoint. And so today we get that opportunity to uh, have Hannah Stoltz in. And Hannah, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you, Will and Chris. I'm really happy to be with you this morning. It's our pleasure. So you're a professor at Wheaton and Lipscomb, and you really have just delved into this whole thing of faith and and business, and and there's a a whole lot of things to unpack. But before we even get into into that part, tell us a little bit about the journey that led you from uh, just where you started to where you are now. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So it has been a really fun journey for me, I guess you could say. And I started out actually in my my career really not looking to become an academic and uh, necessarily uh, my goal really was to have a job that could take me anywhere in the world where I could um, serve God, hopefully, and and serve people. And so that was my initial goal uh, right out of high school. I actually joined the army and worked for a few years in psychological operations, which meant that I had to linguist qualify. So you can imagine, um, I don't want to age myself too much, but you know, late 90s, learning Mandarin was a great skill set to have both wow. just in, in practice and also um, where business and the global business was really at um, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so as I finished my undergrad and started looking at the opportunities, you know, working in government, you know, with military background and other opportunities out there, really, I found to my surprise, because I didn't have a business background initially, my undergrad was international political economics and Mandarin, and there was so much opportunity in kind of the Asian rim development and um, both with the dot-com kind of whole explosion, as well as with a lot of manufacturing moving to China. So really early on in my career, I found myself running operations for an importer. And what I loved in that space, and I'm moving into my academic journey, don't worry. Um, what I loved in that space was the opportunity every day to sit at a desk in you know, Midwestern America and to have the opportunity to interact with people all over, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I never had a framework for that. I never knew that could happen. And it was um, really exciting, but I also really longed to be able to think more about the higher level issues. You know, If you work in supply chain management or logistics, or you know anywhere in those kinds of spaces, a lot of time every day you're going and you're just putting out fires, yeah. trying to get containers developed and moved and taking care of customer problems or a salesperson sells a product that you didn't know you sold and now you have to source it. And all of those issues, and I really love research, I love writing. And so I had the opportunity to kind of take a step back and pursue a, a PhD at that point. Um, I had gotten my MBA and was really interested in doing something in the global space around, you know, how do you do business in a way that really honors and empowers people. But at that point, I really still saw it as kind of a tent maker space. If you know the terminology around tent makers versus um, maybe a a business's mission, you know, different, there's a lot of terms out there. Mm -hmm. And I really thought, gosh, this would be a great skill set to have 
I could go anywhere in the world and serve people. And it'll be the way that I do the work that God's called me to. And I didn't necessarily see it as the work, you know, and I know you probably talk about this a lot with CEOs, maybe, you know, that their work is actually ministry and the, the companies they are leading, you know, they get to be this, you know, kind of pastoral role as a leader. And in the academic space, it can be the same way. Yeah. Our leadership looks a little different. Instead of leading, you know, corporations or companies with 30 to, you know, thousands of employees, we write um, really boring articles that we hope 20 people will read. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, and so they're not all really boring. The really heavy math <laughs> ones might get a little boring sometimes, yeah. but, um, I really saw it just as a, a way of being able to travel and go places and do, and do the work. So early on in my PhD program, I had the opportunity to be part of uh, a department of defense grant, exploring best practices, uh, across the fortune 500, exploring lean green and global supply chain strategies. Mm. And, you know, back then lean was kind of shifting from the manufacturing space into this, you know, supply chain. Can you have a lean supply chain? What does this look like in a global um, economy and in, in, with supply chain spread all over the world? And we sat at, you know, we sat at the table with lots of different companies that were leading in these spaces, you know, back, this wasn't that long ago, uh, you know, Walmarts and Kimberly Clarks and General Electrics and, um, you know, big companies doing a lot of big things around the world. And as they talked about the benefits of lean, they talked about things like employees being heard, employees being valued in their jobs. And yeah. um, when they talked about the green strategies, they talked about, you know, this is the responsible thing to do for the next generation. And as I was listening to these things, I thought, man, these things that these companies are doing, that they're seeing cost savings for implementing, they're seeing revenue bump because their customers are excited to be working with them. Their employees are more motivated to come to work every day. All of these strategies that seem to be best practice are actually pretty biblical. <laughs> and I wonder if anybody is telling Christians <laughs> that business best practices can align with the word of God and our calling to fulfill the great commandment. And so I have spent about the last decade really exploring this, um, you know, and, and, and the revelation came in business conversations. And so I said, okay, well, we need to know then, um, not at an anecdotal testimonial level, you know, what did I experience in leading my own company, but what do we see broadly across the business marketplace that can inform Christian business practice at a more generalizable level that more people can adopt and learn from. And so I actually, um, at that point, shifted from being at an R1 secular business school and my career took kind of a, a sideways turn. And I went to Wheaton College where I had the opportunity to, to do my master's in Bible. So I spent three years just digging into scripture and saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to pull a pithy verse out to support this best practice. I want to really understand the word of God and what we're called to and then how that gets reflected in the marketplace and not the other way around. And so that's been my really a 10 year journey so I don't know as an academic if it means we're slow learners or we just take forever to formulate thoughts. Um, but the last 10 years for me have been an exploration of taking, you know, applied research that I've done with, I don't know, more than 50, probably nearing 100 companies now, um, exploring what makes them profitable, what makes them um, really competitive in the marketplace. And what are the things we can learn as Christians? You know, this is God's creation and the things that are beautiful and work well, I think are because he put them in place. And how do we implement that if we want to do more than just do a job, make lots of money, and then figure out how to give back after the work has been done? 
um, I think we can serve along the way. And there's lots of evidence for that. So that's the short story, I think. <laughs> well, I've heard um, more uh, kind detail. Of my journey and where I'm at today in terms of really exploring um, both in the classroom and then how I get to work with companies in research and through the Center for Faith and Innovation at Wheaton to say, what is it seeing that companies can be doing and implementing that not only make their companies flourish, make them a great place for employees to come to, a really trustworthy company for customers to trust and suppliers, but also really do advance the biggest call that we have, which is to love people. Yes, that's good. Start to say, I've heard more detail of your story, and you did the short version. <laughs> so it's good. There's a whole lot more to that story. Uh, you you went through some things pretty quickly that uh, are amazing to me. So um, I'll just leave it at uh, you've definitely got a place to a platform to speak from. Mm -hmm. You've got the experience, and I think uh, anybody listening needs to hear exactly what you have to say. Not I'm not accustomed to listening to. Uh, academics. Uh, I didn't pay attention in school and, and I didn't go uh, as far as maybe uh, others, but uh, I think there's some really good content here today. So thanks again for, for being here and sharing. What was some of the data that you started first examining as you were like, let's, let's, let's start looking at these businesses and, and you know, what was the, what was the thing that you started off with to looking at? Yeah, I initially started off with uh, a lot of environmental research. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a big area in, academic research over the last 10 years for sure. And I kind of saw it as like, oh, this is in the stewardship space. Yeah. So I can explore what are companies doing to really care for the environment. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly found that companies that really have um, these, these philosophies or strategies around environmental and green initiatives uh, also are, you know, a lot of them are, are being green and lean. So they're also looking not just at environmental impact, but at social impact as well. So over the last 10 years, I think I started in more of the green space yeah. and have evolved into more of a sustainable supply chain strategy space in terms of what I explore with companies. And so when you think about sustainable strategy, uh, this kind of tracks with triple bottom line, which maybe you're familiar with, maybe not. Triple bottom line is an accountability term or an accounting term that really looks at not just um, the economic bottom line or cost, but also at social impact and environmental impact. And so a lot of what I've looked at over the last 10 years are what are the different, um, what are the drivers that motivate companies to become green or to um, better, you know, explore their social impact and what are some of the benefits of, you know, green initiatives and some of the benefits of social initiatives. And actually over the last year, um, it worked on a, you know, a multi-university uh, experimental study where we actually ex really researched and dove in to what happens when things go wrong in your supply chain. Mm. And we looked at it with a triple bottom line perspective. So, you know, what happens when there's an economic scandal, when there's embezzling or, or you know, money goes missing? What happens when, what happens to your brand and the reputation of your company? But the interesting thing is, you know, it's it seems matter of fact that if you have, you know, child labor in your supply chain or you have embezzling going on you know somewhere in your corporate um kind of ecosystem or there's you know hazardous waste dumping or things like that that it's going to impact your company's reputation and mm. um, what we explored which gets a little bit more nuanced and interesting is that spillover effect goes beyond just brand and reputation 
when you have things that go wrong in your supply chain that customers find out about, consumers find out about, it doesn't just impact you know, that brand loyalty and customer loyalty. It actually impacts customers' <laughs> perception of the quality of your product itself. Mm. And it may not be related at all to the embezzlement. It may not be related at all to labor issues or anything to do with like environmental or, you know, just because you dump waste doesn't mean your product is itself is bad. Mm. But actually customers, because something bad is happening that's related to your cust- your company, customers think that it impacts everything. And so this spillover effect is like, there's this correlation between bad news and the impact of perceptions of all kinds of things that your company does. And this sounds like a a really sad story to be telling on a podcast to um, current and future business leaders. But the really cool piece that we took away and, you know, my the team, we weren't it wasn't a faith based project necessarily. Um, But one of the things we took away is that when companies do anything to own their mistakes and then recover, so correct it, fix it, and then go maybe like one step beyond or, you know, go a a lot beyond, you know, to like clean all the rivers in India. I don't know. Um, That actually, not only does it regain that customer brand um, kind of drop that was lost and customer loyalty, but it actually can increase it. And so the story there is like, don't go out and do bad things and then publicly, you know, fix it. The story there is there's a lot of power in repentance. And there's a lot of power in restoration stories. And I think a lot of companies are really hesitant to tell the good stories. I've worked with a lot of Christian business leaders that are really hesitant to tell their stories because they don't want to get caught doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I say I'm a Christian and then what if somebody's unhappy or something goes wrong in my company, is that actually going to be bad for the gospel? Is it actually going to be, you know, am I going to come across as a hypocrite? And I think the wonderful thing about testimony is that, um, you know, we sometimes think about testimony as our conversion testimony. And actually we have testimony throughout our walk with God, right? We have moments where we slip up or we have moments where um, we're at an end of ourselves. Maybe it isn't, you know, a sin thing, but God just rescues us in a situation where our resources have run out. And I loved what we ended up finding out in the study because it really said, if you repent, People forgive you. And if you fix the things and you restore the mistakes and go back and make sure you love people and correct things and um, set things straight, it actually boosts the perceptions of who you are and people want to work with you because they That's feel right. like you're going to be honest and transparent. And, and so this, just... this research was really exciting. It was exciting enough that we were able to publish it in the Harvard Business Review and really generate a lot of buzz around it. And these are the kind of examples, though, of research that I do that um, really resonates in a secular space that could be preached on a Sunday morning. You know, (laughs) don't forget that no matter where you're at in your journey, repentance is so important, that restoration is so important. And I think that that's kind of a maybe a high level. I don't know. Is that um, a good enough, specific enough example to answer your question? Well, that makes sense. And and I think you would go it would be an easy logical leap. You may have some data behind this, but it's not just the customer of the business that sees the product or the uh, company as improving, but it's the internal customer, your employees, when leadership is willing to step up and say, hey, I blew it. I blew that last call. I did not make the right decision here, but I'm going to go back and fix it. The trust that is gained internally and that turns into improved internal metrics around the employees is huge as well. So I think that's a a very good message. 
so what kind of businesses were you looking at? Were they large, you know, small? Like what's the, what were the size range? Yeah, I mean, in that project, we were really looking at the end consumer perception. So, um, you know, the, the, the corporate case was a big company. Uh, but we have also seen um, similar things in small and medium-sized firms as well. So if I jump to some other research I've worked on over the last you know, few years, really within the Wheaton Center and working with you know, organizations like His Way at Work and um, companies like, like Polydeck, where there is a corporate strategy and a philosophy around you know, really loving people and treating people well. Uh, we also see that internally in small and medium-sized firms where there is a lot more access to corporate leadership that these relational pieces become really important, you know, like Chris said to that internal customer, because there's there's a relationship there for quick repentance and for quick ownership and moving towards, you know, goals in a way that can be really transparent. And when when you see and I, I think this is a real challenge with as companies grow. Um, so when when you're small, it's really easy to have a local corporate culture where leaders can be really transparent and they can own things quickly and employees because they have that relationship um, it's easier to foster trust and to understand love and care and as companies grow and you get you know regionally dispersed or you know nationally or even globally dispersed you know when you get to the bigger companies um, it becomes harder to figure out the channels for um, for communication and what are the right channels for building relationships and so um, you know I spent I spent time with both you know, 50 employee companies, as well as, you know, Fortune 500, you know, 30,000 plus employee organizations and found the same thing that scale as a company gets bigger and we all pray and want God to grow the work we're doing because it grows our impact. We also have to think strategically about how do we communicate those stories and how do you build a relationship at scale? How do you engage employees at scale so they feel like they're a part of something they can trust in? And that really is going to drive, you know, that employee commitment, that, you know, employee trust in the organization and the leadership um, that is really essential. So some of my research also has looked at that um, quite extensively. And uh, it's always interesting. I look at social networks, right? So I actually, instead of doing logistics networks and supply chain network design, where you decide where your warehouses go, um, I looked at where people are in their organizations. And what are their connections to each other, whether it's trust, whether it's problem solving or just information sharing to get jobs done. And at the end of the day, the most important relationship that's going to drive both um, individual employee performance for sales, as well as an operational ability to balance things like inventory and, uh, you know, getting product moving correctly. The biggest relational need that people have is an ability to call somebody and solve problems when things go wrong. Because we know in business things are going to go wrong. Um, so I guess I'm just going to talk about things going wrong today. But um, <laughs> there is a huge challenge there. And so that that employee relationship piece is, is huge internally as well. So on that note, <clears throat> the companies that you've worked with that are smaller, as you say, it is much easier to maintain trust. You're face-to-face -face quite a bit, if not all the time. But as you start to scale, as you start to grow, maybe at a location, that kind of thing. What do you find that companies succeeding at continuing to build trust? What are they doing differently that those that don't, uh, don't find themselves as successful? What are they not doing? Get any kind of high level insight there? Yeah, I would say that the, the biggest challenge, um, you know, I think whether you're 
you know, looking at suppliers and vendors and building trust, you know, globally, if you're outsourcing to China or you just bought a new um, territory and you're ex expanding inside the U.S. Um, and it's it's really simple, to be honest. The answer, I think, is is pretty common sense. It's boots on the ground. Um, you need to have physical people um, in those locations asking people, what's your name? How are you doing? And having that connection, because if you don't have those relationship connections, what you find is that employees feel like they're being driven by the numbers only. And as you scale, numbers are really important. You have to track lots of things. You have to have accountability, but accountability without relationship becomes a taskmaster and relationship actually motivates people to achieve the things they need to um, in terms of their, their goals and metrics in a, you know, a further away location. And so I find that the companies that do it really well have um, have leadership that is going to be there physically, you know, and, mm -hmm. and visits different locations and builds relationships. And, um, you know, if you can't be, you know, once you get to a certain scale, you know, you can't be everywhere all the time. But then it's really, really important that the onboarding and training of the handoffs of the people who are at every location, that culture has to trickle down from you know the the core of your core leadership team if your mid-level management team can't reiterate your corporate values and your culture and um the goals for interacting with your employees um then it's not going to work when you scale it will get lost in different regions and different locations and so i think you know the first piece is is be present um go and visit all your different sites and don't just go visit the sites to get a kpi dashboard or to look at the progress reports go to really spend right. time with people and listen to them. And then the other piece, you know, as you grow even bigger is make sure that you're really training, not just, you know, your, your sales force, who's talking to your customers about your brand, but really train those internal people who are managing the day-to-day -day operations to carry forward your heart with employees. And that it really takes some um, intentional leadership development. And yeah, I think and intentional leadership development is huge um, for small corporations as they scale. It's a big deal. We're, we're bumping into quite a few at His Way at Work, bumping into CEOs that or owners that, you know, it's a smaller business, it may even be two or 300 employees, smaller business, one location. And the the CEO or owner has always cast a vision, has always been the one that's shown the care because he or she can do that physically in the location. But then when it starts to branch out or starts to grow beyond the number they can handle, those on our side that don't make it are the ones that don't lay their vision and heart for people out on the table, communicate it to their team, and push it down through the organization. It's And they think too often, like you said earlier, I, I, I don't know if I think I'm going to make a mistake. Therefore, if I share too much of myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look bad or I'm going to cause a, a, a mark on the gospel. Um, but those that are willing to step out, put everything out on the table— put it into a form of, you know, whether it's core values, mission, vision, that kind of thing, or just a strategy for caring for employees, and then push that out through the organization. That works, but it's the intentional. That one word, if they don't intentionally stop to do that, it doesn't just naturally happen. No. We don't drift toward that, right? We drift away from that kind of intention. No. So sharing that culture is is there anything that you that you revealed in your studies of of just best practices that people can do to, to share the culture and make sure that it it passes on to the mid-level management and then all the way down to the person who's pushing the the broom you know on the factory floor 
Yeah, I think it comes down to the the culture needs to be and the, you know, we know about developing um, mission statements and vision statements and, you know, core values as a company. Uh, and so those have to get adopted. That's the first step. But the second step that I think sometimes doesn't get articulated or doesn't always happen is that that mid-level all the way down to the shop floor, um, they need to, to adopt that with their own story. So that mid-level person, if they're taking the CEO's testimony to the to the front line, it's it's still like a step removed, right? It's it's relationally like, well, yeah, he's just doing what the boss says. And so really creating a space where your mid-level people and your frontline people can translate those those cultural values and those, you know, everyday practices and norms into their and make them their own. So how do you tell that story through your own testimony, through what God's done in your life, through, you know, things that you've seen that have been miraculous? Um, because especially when it comes to like leadership transitions and with small and medium sized firms, you're more likely to get that 20 year CEO than at a Fortune 500 massive company, of course. But you do want the company to have longevity beyond the current leader. And so I think this is the other thing when, you know, you all talk about eternal ROI. Um, I look at, you know, eternal impact. And one of the other things that I think is missing in business schools, um, you know, I've, I've taught at every level of, you know, both secular and Christian business schools throughout my career, from the undergrad classroom to an MBA classroom to the PhD seminar. And one of the things that we miss in the American uh, method of teaching business is how do you train people in having a long term orientation, and not just being, um, you know, quarterly sales, uh, you know, annual reports, which is our model, right? That business is structured around quarterly reports, annual reports, um, and think it's not just about, you know, the, the next year or the next five years, but what is the impact of this company going to be really, really long-term? And that long-term piece is where people get motivated to be a part of something that's bigger than today. And so I do think that, um, you know, anything that happens at the, the leadership space of a company um, we go into a lot of companies where the entire leadership team, they have really awesome stories and they really get the culture and you go one step down in the company and it's like, yeah, we just show up and report our numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, you need two things in play. You need them to know their story. And then you also need to project this longer term vision of what the company is about. You got to have KPIs. You got to have key performance indicators. You have to measure things, um, of course. But figure out how to balance, you know, both story and measurement with motivation. And I think if you can find a way to be inspiring in those two spaces, um, it's more likely to work than not. What would you say to that CEO who says, you know, this touchy feeling stuff is not for us. You know, we pay them a good salary. uh, We give them benefits. They should be glad they have a job. You know, we treat them well that's enough, you know, and, and it's, and we, it's not going to, we don't want to hurt our bottom line by doing all this extra, you know, touchy feely share values and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I would, I would say that that is really great if they're going to be fully automated and robotic <laughs> and, um, you know, Henry Ford's my favorite cause at the industrial revolution, you know, he said, um, you know, uh, all I need is a pair of hands and they, you know, bring the whole person to work, you know, and that, you know, that <laughs> mentality, um, is great. It, it will, it's efficient. Um, but actually, I think even if you look at best practices in manufacturing, the lean movement pushed us away from saying touchy feely doesn't matter. And fine, you can look at lean and say, you know, well, it's not really touchy feely, but 
Um, the touchy-feely in the relationship space is where you're going to get a shop floor employee that will raise their hand and say, this isn't machine isn't working and here's why. And, um, you know, if, if you're going to go fully robotic, fully automated, then don't engage the person. But as long as you recognize that you have human beings coming into a workspace and not only do they have the expensive stuff, you know, the, the training and it might hit your bottom line, you know, to invest a little bit more in them. But if you do that investment, it's not just the bottom line that's affected. It actually affects your profit margin because now the same person is coming to work and thank goodness they're not just a pair of hands because maybe there's something going on in that brain that makes your company more efficient and that makes you more effective in engaging with your customer. And so it actually is not an opportunity um, just for cost savings, which actually lean creates cost savings with the touchy feely stuff. Okay. It's actually an efficiency booster because now employees come to work invested in your company, not just robots that are there to, you know, turn the screw and um, push the product down the assembly line or, you know, do a, a follow-up call for invoicing. Now you have people who are fully engaged and are going to troubleshoot within your organization and tell you when things go wrong. And so I think, you know, it's a, it's, it's a mentality that's going to end up costing you money in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So let's talk a little bit about your book, uh, yeah, wisdom, wisdom based business. Tell us a little bit about, about that. And, uh, I assume it's, it's a culmination of some of the, some, some, many of the things that you've been working on and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I am uh, really excited to see this come together. Uh, it's uh, been a, a huge project and uh, the, the goal of the book is to really say, um, let's start with scripture. Let's start with the word of God and really explore um, what does it seem like are the best and wisest practices um, that we can adopt and put into place, you know, tomorrow. And um, wisdom literature, it's my favorite in scripture. I think I'm a logistician at heart, you know, a, a past soldier. And so I want practical application and there's no um, passages in scripture like Proverbs and Psalms and Job and Ecclesiastes that really give you tools that you can apply in business with no need for interpretation. You know, Proverbs 22, if you don't believe me, read Proverbs 22. And the whole passage is about like, how do you do your pricing? How do you treat your customers? Um, do you, you, there's a whole, there's a, a verse in there and I'll give you my, the Hannah Stoll's translation. So um, go back and read it in scripture, but there's a verse in there that actually says, if you go into a transaction with a supplier, you know, you're, you're going into the marketplace to buy something and you keep saying, oh, that's, that's a crappy product. That's, that's, that's not that great of a tool. I'm only going to give you this much money for it. And you get that transaction at, at a steal. And then you walk away and you laugh and you say, look at what I did. Look at how much I got this product, this really great product for. And Proverbs actually says God hates that. They, that you know, and so there's there's so much there that's so practical. Don't go into your suppliers and like convince them their product is bad. Off lowball them, and then walk away and laugh about how you took advantage of them and got a product that you need for cheaper. And um, you know that's really really practical. So I really go through um, focusing in on the book of Proverbs. It's kind of the the big wisdom book, right? Mm -hmm. And look throughout that book, how do we develop based on everything in the entire book? Um, what would wisdom be doing in the marketplace today? And it's amazing to me because, you know, wisdom shows up at this as this character in Proverbs, you know, lady wisdom, and she's in the public space in the public square. And, you know, she's calling out to the fools. She's juxtaposed with this, you know, lady folly. And a lot of the teachings throughout that passage 
really do track with best practices in business. Hmm. So my goal was to start with scripture. So every chapter um, really has a core um, focus on scripture. What does scripture tell us about this? And um, also use case examples. So every chapter has a corporate case example, um, whether it's a Christian company or a secular company, here's a company that's doing great at this one thing. And um, here's how scripture says this is a great way of doing business. And then I look at the last 50 to 100 years of business research and do a high level summary and say, yep, this is how business research also sells or sells, says that this is the best way um, that this is going to bump profitability, employee engagement, um, you know, customer and supplier satisfaction. Mm -hmm. This is a tool or a strategy that really can set your company apart. And so the book goes through um, there's. Uh, it starts with servant leadership. It really does start with leadership. And if leadership doesn't have a heart to love others well, the, the company culture is always going to flounder. And then it goes into five um, strategies that I think are really prevalent throughout wisdom literature that look at, you know, um, stakeholder engagement. How do you engage people strategically, whether they're your internal employees, your customers, or your suppliers, and the community that your company lives in? How do you um, really deliver a quality product to the market? Um, are your customers, are you honoring your customers with what you deliver? Um, it looks at sustainability. So what is your environmental and social impact and economic impact? Are you stewarding the resources really well? Um, it looks at uh, your supply chain orientation, which believe it or not, there's a lot in scripture about supply chain management. Um, I love it that the first miracles, you know, whether it was Joseph, you know, during the famine, Joseph, you know, his response to God's instruction was to build a big warehouse that saved the whole world. <laughs> so one of the early miracles in the Bible was a big warehouse that the whole world was saved through during a famine. And I, I joke that we all wish we had forecasting models like, you know, prophetic dreams. But um, and then, you know, even to, you know, Jesus and uh, the, the prophets like um, Elijah, you know, they, they fed people. They actually came up with tangible resources. They didn't just meet people, you know, heal them and, you know, deliver spiritually, but they also met people's, you know, tangible needs, um, both miraculously or like Solomon, Solomon sourced from all over the world. He understood his supply chain. And so there's a supply chain piece, which obviously I get pretty excited about as a supply chain professor. And then the final one is long-term. If you are only measuring your company and your strategies are all for the next one to five years, it's really hard to have eternal impact. You really need to be thinking, you know, what is the impact that our company has um, financially, socially, environmentally, you know, um, not just the, the your balance sheets, you know, the, the hard numbers, but also the soft side, because at the end of the day, the great commandment is pretty soft. <laughs> it's love, love God and love people. And so this is what we'll answer for probably more, no, definitely more than our balance sheets. We want to be good stewards. But I think at the end of the day, the, the law is summed up in loving God and loving people. And so if we don't have a view for that long term, then we're going to miss out. And you will end up at the end of your career making tons of money and saying, well, now, now that I've made all this money, how can I do some good? And what a tragedy when you can actually run a whole business and build impact the whole time, having amazing impact on your employees, creating a space that people are delighted to get up and go to that your customers are excited to buy your products and that suppliers are in business and feel supported and confident because of the work that you do as a company. And so that's my whole book. 
Um, it really goes Genesis to Revelation, even though the, the core is Proverbs and explores, man, there's so much hope of, for the good we can do as Christians in the marketplace. And um, let's not be foolish. Let's be wise enough to do that today. And so that's coming out on, on April 13th. And you can pre-order it everywhere on Amazon. It's even on the Walmart website right now, which I was like, you know, as a supply chain person. Now, now I've reached the whole world. Um, and so you can you can pre-order it now. And um, my heart and prayer for that is that um, it's the kind of book that my students will take home at Christmas and give to their parents. Yeah, so no student ever about a textbook. Uh, but, you know, it's worth dreaming. And that this is a book that, uh, you know, a CEO or um, a rising entrepreneur could pick up and say, um, maybe I want to think a little bit more strategically as I think about my balance scorecard, as I create my corporate strategy, are there things in scripture that I could be missing that could have a huge impact, not just for my, my business to be successful, but for my business to honor God and honor people really well. I love that. It sounds like a fascinating book. I can't wait to uh, get my hands on it. I'm, I'll pre-order it today. Uh, and again, for, for those who are listening, it's, it's called Wisdom-Based Business, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, that's going to be a fascinating, yeah. fascinating yeah. read. Looking forward to it. So what's one piece of advice you wish you'd been given 10 years ago? I wish that I had had a better, so this is maybe as an advice, I'll try to think about how I can get it to advice. I wish I'd had a better understanding of how God can call us into full-time ministry anywhere. Mm. And I think the piece of advice I would give to anybody that really feels a tug on their heart to serve God with their entire life. And you don't have to be full-time working for a church or a nonprofit organization to really, really serve God well, and to live a life that has a testimony for the church and for the kingdom of heaven. And I wish somebody had told me early on that um, regardless of the sphere that God has called you to, you can live every day full-time ministering to people around you and, you know, carrying forward the ministry of the church to wherever God has, has called you. And, um, you know, I wish, so I, now I'm just building up lots of advice, but, um, (laughs) I wish that somebody had really, um, laid on my heart that the amazingness of going into a workplace and working with people that probably might not ever step foot in a church, Mm. but you get to be Jesus in so many different situations to people around you that aren't going to hear a pastor preach or, um, you know, be able to go forward at the end of a sermon to give their lives to Christ. And I think that if we as as lay Christians can grasp just a tiny bit of the amazingness of the impact we can have anywhere God calls us, mm. it would be a life changer for most of us and make our careers a lot more satisfying where we don't feel like, OK, I do I do this hard work so I can volunteer in my church on Sunday or I can you know lead a small group or something else. But um, I think I wish somebody would have helped me more with that 10 years ago. Uh, maybe I would have written this book a little faster. <laughs> well, I think you've nailed it. Um, and we talked to quite a few that wish the same thing, coming to an understanding yeah. of that later in life than they'd like. Um, but the absolute best time to plant an oak tree was 10 years ago, right? But the second best time is today. So if you if you haven't been haven't understood that before, uh, starting now, you're going to make up some time. So I think that's great advice. And, and we typically ask people what a top resource or book that they recommend, but I think it's it's wisdom based business. I think that's what it needs to be. People need to, to yeah. go and, and well, read you that. know, another one. Can I throw another one in there? Sure, do it. 
Yeah, great. So, um, you know, as as we were talking and, you know, the challenge for small and medium sized companies as they scale to really infiltrate that culture throughout their organization. Um, one of the things we started doing at the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation is to build out some workshops um, that are virtual that anybody can engage in. And we call it integrate, making faith integral um, to your work. And this is a it's a three day training workshop that we're doing at Wheaton College. And it's not it's not high level academic. Don't worry, Chris, you know, for those of you that <laughs> don't love the classroom, um, it's really a hands on uh, three day uh, training experience. You can come in. We have three different tracks that we're building, um, one in leadership development, one in face center design. If you're looking at product and process design and the other one is a wisdom based business workshop. So if you hear things and you're like, man, I would really love to have some training opportunities for my employees if you're a leader or if you're listening to this and saying, you know, I would love to read this book, but how do I actually apply this in my company? You can come spend three days with me and I'll teach you how to apply it in your company. Um, Or if you're going through a process redesign or a product redesign or you just need to develop leaders, um, you know, we want to provide that space as a university as well that we can be training and equipping and educating no matter where you're at in your in your career, you know, hopefully learning doesn't stop after a bachelor's degree. We get to keep learning all throughout life. And so this is one opportunity that this um, Integrate Conference um, this year is our, our first year launching it. It's April 22 to 25. And why not launch uh, an event during COVID? Um, you know, people of faith do impossible things. Sure. Um, so this this conference is another way if you'd love to get some hands on training in this space that we would love to, to partner with you in that. So tickets are on sale. You can go to our our website at wheaton.edu slash CFI. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you join us there as well. That's another resource. Fantastic. That's incredible. That sounds like a great opportunity. And we'll put links to that in the uh, the show notes as well and on the podcast. Uh, This has been an incredible chat. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your generosity. Last question for you. What do you think the big takeaway is for today? The people that are listening, what should they walk away with? I would hope that if you are listening today, that maybe you'll get excited about reading your Bible and not reading your Bible for like, you know, what does this mean for me in this season right now today? Um, But what does this tell us about the nature of God, who God is and how we can be like him in the marketplace? And there's so much in scripture that tells us about this. So um, I hope that you know, maybe some of the, you know, conversation about Proverbs or, you know, the different miracles in the word of God inspire you to read the Bible and maybe read it a little differently today. Um, sorry to throw another resource out there, but there's this really great resource <laughs> called the Theology of Work Commentary. And they actually go Genesis to Revelation talking about scripture and its meaning for work. Um, but there's so many uh, resources like that out there now. Um, so I hope that you get inspired to read scripture and then just know that um, whatever God has called you to, you can give your whole life to being in ministry for the church and for him. And uh, you don't have to wait until you've made money to contribute. Um, you can do it tomorrow, whether you're a, a janitor, a rising manager, a, an analyst in an entry-level job or a CEO. Uh, God puts people in front of us and alongside us every day that we can love and reflect his love really well. So mm-hmm. read your Bible and love people. It's pretty simple. Uh, well put. Uh, this conversation has been so rich. I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with me. I can, I can hear your passion, and I can see your passion, and it's, it's so refreshing. And uh, it's, it's so good to get a perspective from the academic side of things and, and uh, 
I think everybody should pick up the 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 book Wisdom Based Business released April thirteenth. Go to Amazon. Go to Walmart. If Walmart doesn't have it, you don't need it. That's what my mom used to tell me. So <laughs> pick it up. And uh, it's been great chatting with you. But thanks so much. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Wally and Chris. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening. Hope you found some value in today's discussion. If you're inspired and you'd like to learn more, His Way at Work has a number of resources and tools for you. Just check us out at hwaw.com. If you're new here and you'd like to check out more episodes, just go to Facebook or to any podcast platform and make sure to subscribe there. Or if you know somebody that might find value in what we're talking about, feel free to share with them and point them in our direction. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.